0: CyberBit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Sprint warns of a data breach. Eclipsium announces discovery of server firmware supply chain problems. Bluetooth low energy may be less secure than thought. Congress hears about US Census cybersecurity, ransomware and continuity of operations. The FBI offers help decrypting Gancrab affected files, Venify on why financial services are especially affected by certificate issues. Congress asks to see NSPM13 and an arrest is made in Bulgaria's tax agency hack. From the CyberWire studios at Datatribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, July 17, 2019. U.S. telco Sprint has warned customers that unauthorized persons may have obtained access to their Sprint account. The hackers obtained access in some unspecified manner through the Samsung.com Adaline website. Sprint says it's taken steps to secure its customers' accounts. Security firm Eclipsium has an account of how a firmware supply chain problem has cropped up in several marks of servers. The issue involves the BMC, that is the Baseboard Management Controller, and devices from at least six different manufacturers are affected. Eclipsium found two distinct vulnerabilities. First, some BMC firmware update processes fail to verify cryptographic signatures verification before accepting updates. And second, the BMC code that performs the firmware update contains a command injection vulnerability. Some server vendors, notably Lenovo, have released updates and mitigations to address these problems, but Eclipsium notes that supply chain issues of this kind tend to be persistent and can be difficult to fix. Researchers at Boston University report that they've demonstrated they can defeat the MAC address randomization Bluetooth Low Energy uses to protect devices from being identified and tracked. There's a wide range of ways in which Bluetooth Low Energy can be implemented in a device, but the researchers' conclusions suggest that this isn't as simple a matter as, for example, making sure your AWS S3 buckets are left open to the Internet. Even properly, carefully implemented instances can yield a lot more information about a device than had generally been believed. Congress is raising concerns about the 2020 U.S. Census. This is the first U.S. Census in which a significant portion of the data collection will be done online, with the attendant possibility of hacking, and the customary a priori jitters are to be expected. The Government Accountability Office testified before Congress that Although the Bureau, that is the Census Bureau, has taken initial steps to address risk, additional actions are needed as these risks could adversely impact the cost, quality, schedule, and security of the enumeration. Quote. The GAO said it had identified some 330 corrective actions back in May that it brought to the Census Bureau's attention. The Bureau is delaying action on 104 of these, citing either technical or resource issues. That said, and all things being equal, the GAO thinks that, quote, while there's a lot of work needed going forward, they don't think we're looking at a disaster. The whole point, of course, is to be able to carry out the constitutionally required headcount, and the Census Bureau is confident it can do that while securing the personal data it will collect. Sensibly, they say they have a variety of continuity of operations plans in place, and that they're working on a plan that would cover the worst-case catastrophic takedown of its systems. Continuity of operations and mission assurance are worth thinking about with respect to ransomware, too. One of the bigger ransomware demands issued lately has been received by Monroe College, a proprietary school headquartered in the Bronx. Naked Security puts the extortion demand at $1.8 million, and Inside Higher Ed says it's an even $2 million. In any case, what may be most interesting about the episode is the way in which Monroe is working to continue operations. The college has declined to say whether it will pay the ransom, but it has said that it's reverted to manual and even face-to-face operations to continue to deliver its product to the students. As President Mark Jerome put it, quote, We're simply doing it the way colleges did before email and the Internet, which results in more personal interactions. Quote. Given the way in which schools and city governments have been clobbered by ransomware over the course of this year, this particular fallback, readiness to revert to manual backup, is well worth considering. Every organization has a mission, and IT systems are there to facilitate accomplishing that mission. So it's worth thinking in terms of continuity of operations and mission assurance. If we may be permitted a local observation, had the city mothers and fathers of Baltimore devoted some time and attention to this— they wouldn't have found themselves in this year's ongoing ransomware pickle. And the citizens of Charm City would be spared the sticker shock of a huge water bill that represents a catch-up bill after months of downtime. Facebook has been under a good bit of scrutiny lately for a variety of things, not the least of which is their recently announced move into cryptocurrency and digital wallets. Tamika Smith has more on that story.
1: We're approaching a month since Facebook announced its new cryptocurrency, Libra, and their digital wallet, Calibra. The tech giant's move has spawned an increase in domain permutations, drawing out hackers and scammers across the web seeking a payday. Here to talk more about this is Alex Giraku. He's a strategic intelligence analyst at Digital Shadows. Hi, Alex. Welcome to the program. Hey, Tamika. It's good to be here. Okay, so you recently wrote an article that delves into how scammers and hackers have seen this sort of like a goal rush. So let's start with charts you created. What were you looking for in the results?
2: I initially was doing some research completely unrelated for a client report. And I had noticed that there was a weirdly high number of domains that were being created that essentially appended the client's name brand with either Libra or Calibra. I thought to myself, hey, that's a little bit weird because spoof domains are extremely common, but it's a bit more rare to see a a consolidated effort like this. And so that got me thinking. What I did was I went into Shadow Search, which is a tool that searches across Digital Shadows Data Repository and basically includes everything from Whois records and CVEs to threat actor profiles and dark web search results. And I used that to pull up a list of all the domains that we had collected on that either had Libra or Calibra in the URL that were created either on or around the days of the announcement, which was on June 18th.
1: Interesting. So all of the domains that were set up on the 18th, as you categorize them in your article, um, they're hosting malicious content, but they're split up into different categories. Can you talk about that?
2: Yeah. So essentially the three different categories that I came up with were the boring ones. So those that aren't really doing much, they're sitting there parked, not hosting content. But the more interesting ones, I split into the two different categories. So they were either directly impersonating the Libra Calibra website, or they were using the Libra Calibra brand to run a type of scam.
1: Does GDPR have a role to play in what countries are going to be hit the hardest by this?
2: So the way that GDPR will work is that it's really only going to be effective on the companies themselves and whether or not they operate within essentially the jurisdiction of GDPR. It's not really going to curb anything that these criminals are going to do. In the long run, it might tighten up security controls that the companies will have in place and kind of put these up in the forefront within an organization's policies. And that in itself could make it more difficult for attackers to target these kinds of organizations.
1: So now let's look at cryptocurrency in itself. It's not new. Everyone knows about cryptocurrency. Most, one of the ones that became very famous is Bitcoin. But now, you know, Facebook is in the game as well. And they're attracting a lot of attention, garnering attention from um, political figures and the banking industry. Uh, what makes their cryptocurrency different from, say, Bitcoin?
2: Yeah, so everyone knows about Facebook. They're extremely popular. They have strong footing in the tech world. And so, like you said, it's natural that they attract a lot of this kind of attention.
1: As of right now, Facebook has no plans on offering Calibra's digital wallet services in its largest market in India. And India has made it very clear that they're not happy with having a private cryptocurrency in their market as well. So much so that the country's economic affairs secretary said in a Bloomberg interview that they would not be comfortable with the private cryptocurrency and that they will be proposing stringent penalties, including prison sentences up to 10 years.
2: So Facebook is absolutely huge, and essentially the goal with Libra and the Calibra wallet is to leverage their big, their global platform to create an easy-to-use, borderless currency. But in practice, like you said, that can be a bit more difficult. With India saying that they're not too comfortable with the implementation of cryptocurrencies like Libra, it, it raises a couple of questions. But mainly, things like blockchain networks, which typically operate in a more decentralized manner... It can make it difficult to regulate it in the way that you would a more traditional currency. But the way that Libra appears to be set up, it seems more centralized than most other cryptocurrencies, like you mentioned Bitcoin. And so it's probably more likely that Facebook will try to abide by the laws within countries like India and that Libra would be operating in otherwise. But we'll have to see how that actually works and how that's implemented once the cryptocurrency actually comes around in 2020. Because... It's difficult to fully manage a blockchain network, especially with regards to cryptocurrencies, because people can always use VPNs to get around things like IP blacklisting. So it is possible. And essentially, we'll just have to see what happens come 2020.
1: Exactly. So we'll have to leave the conversation here for now. Thank you so much for joining the conversation, Alex.
2: It was so nice to be on. Thank you so much.
1: Alex Giraku is a strategic intelligence analyst at Digital Shadows. You can find him tweeting at Photon underscore research, tweeting about Facebook's Libra, leaky SMB file shares, among other topics.
0: And Tamika Smith joins me in the studio now. Um, Tamika, along with the folks uh, sort of going out on this gold rush for domain names, uh, representatives from Facebook had some time in front of Congress yesterday. They got a bit of a grilling.
1: Yes, they did. Specifically, David Marcus, he's the co-creator of Facebook's new digital currency, Libra. Um, what I thought was very interesting is that he knew, um, from what I could see, that he was stepping into a zone where a lot of criticism was going to be coming his way. He brought up the Independent Libra Association, which includes companies in the financial sector, the blockchain sector, venture capitalist companies, nonprofits. They're specifically there to regulate this new currency Hmm. and to make sure that implementing safeguards is what they're there to do. And most importantly, that Facebook will only get 1% of the vote. On this association.
0: Hmm. All right. Well, uh, it, it's certainly uh, interesting developments. I, I think uh, Facebook is under a lot more scrutiny than perhaps they had uh, hoped to be under or, or even uh, bet on. Um, Tamika Smith, thanks for keeping an eye on this stuff. Of course. The U.S. FBI has issued a flash alert offering master decryption keys and other useful information concerning the now possibly retired but still troublesome GandCrab ransomware. Good for the Bureau, we say. Now anyone can create their own decryptor. A survey by Venify suggests that financial services are likelier to suffer a certificate-related outage than are businesses in other sectors. They're particularly vulnerable because, as Venify puts it, quote, financial services organizations rely on machine identities to secure and protect a wide range of business-critical machine-to-machine communication, end quote. Bulgarian authorities have arrested a 20 year old man in connection with a data breach at the National Tax Agency that exposed some 7 million people's personal information. The unidentified suspect is said to have been a legitimate penetration tester who went over to the dark side. And this just in humans now read the cyberwire on Alexa. Lack the time or inclination to read the daily news briefing? Let us do it for you on your Alexa. Just say, Alexa, what's my flash briefing? Or, Alexa, what's in the news? After you've set the CyberWire as part of your flash briefing, and your regular podcast hosts, most likely me, will take it away. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He's a senior law and policy analyst at the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security, Ben, it's always great to have you back. Um, uh, saw a publication, this was a press release from the EFF, the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Uh, and this was outlining um, how uh, Justice Department efforts to break encryption of Facebook Messenger must be made public. What's going on here? So last year, the DOJ
3: made an effort to obtain the Facebook messages of a customer who they believe was involved in gang activity specifically uh, the MS-13 gang, the one that we've heard so much about over the past several years. Hmm. Facebook, as most technology companies have done, refused the request. DOJ tried to get an injunction, get a court order to hold that company in contempt and actually force them to break their own encryption. If this sounds familiar, it is. I mean, most famously, we saw it with Apple and the FBI back in 2016 Mm -hmm. when... uh, The FBI wanted access into uh, the device used by the terrorists in San Bernardino. Right. They got into a major legal skirmish. Eventually, FBI was able to break encryption without getting Apple's cooperation. The court actually denied the government's effort to get Facebook to decrypt their messaging service. And what EFF is petitioning is to get that opinion public. The reason that's so important for people who care about digital privacy and civil liberties is there's going to be some reasoning contained within that decision that would apply to all different types of other cases now depending on what court that is that could be mandatory authority if it's in a federal court that's located in california and that would have to rely on this decision or it can be persuasive authority where courts from other states might look to this california case and say Here's really persuasive reasoning as to why we should not force Facebook to decrypt their own messaging service. Hmm. Um, And so far, the federal judge has denied the uh, EFF and other civil liberties groups petition to make that information public. So the case is still classified. We don't have the government's reasoning. Um, that's left EFF to do a lot of guesswork. And what they're arguing is that in order to keep the public informed about the government's anti-encryption tactics, that information needs to become public. Uh, and I think they, they
0: have a very compelling case. What are the odds that you think uh, they'll, they'll prevail in this?
3: Well, you know, this is something that's up to the judge. Um, I'm sure the judge is being heavily persuaded by the DOJ because any public uh, opinion on this, even if it's partially redacted, could reveal methods that the federal government uses to decrypt devices or uh, software, any type of technology. Mm -hmm. Um, So there is that element where law enforcement is always reluctant to... Uh, unveil the tactics that they use in conducting their work. And to be clear, um, I mean that—that's a—that's a legitimate argument from the DOJ's side. Absolutely, it's completely legitimate. You know, there are other ways to get basic information out there about the legal reasoning, in particular, under what federal statute uh, did the judge base his or her uh, decision? And that, I think, could be done without revealing any of the underlying information about law enforcement tactics. Now, frankly, there's a lot we don't know about the case. Um, So there might be something contained in there that is classified and that would really harm law enforcement efforts as it relates to either dealing with technology companies or confronting groups like MS-13. But my inkling is that If a judge was amenable to refusing the DOJ's request to decrypt Facebook software, perhaps they'd be amenable to a petition from a civil liberties group to get that opinion unsealed. So far, that's been unfounded. But that would be a logical conclusion from the original decision.
0: Hmm. All right. Well, Ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. Thank you.